Today we're going to nerd out on comics. Uh, we've got Seth, Jed, <laughs> and Eddie D'Angelini here. Hello, everybody. Hello. Oh, Eddie, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Oh, yes. So I'm Eddie D'Angelini. I am the writer, artist, and creator of the comic strip Collectors, which is loosely based on my own life, my comic book collecting, and all the nerdy stuff that my wife has to put up with living with me. I am also the co-owner of Heidi Ho Comics in Santa Monica, which is the oldest comic shop in Southern California, started in 1977. I wasn't around for that entire time. Um, my partners and I have owned the shop for the last six and a half years, and uh, we bought it off the second owner, and we're actually good friends with the original owners who were brothers who started it back in 1977. Wow, that's actually really interesting that you're good friends with the original owners. Um, do they come into the shop once in a while? Uh I mean, yes. pre-COVID. Um, their names are Bob and Mark. Uh, Mark does not, uh, but Bob comes in on a weekly basis. He comes in, uh, picks up some stuff that he wants to read, and of course, you know, we let him take whatever he wants to read because <laughs> he's earned that right. And he meets with uh, other longtime friends who are also longtime customers, and they usually uh, go out nearby in the area in Santa Monica and have lunch together, and that's kind of like their weekly ritual. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome. We're we're really excited to have you, and um, especially you know to talk about your comic strip and talk about um, the Heidi Ho comics. Uh, it's it's really interesting to to go into you know comic books and 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 in depth. It's so hard because there's so many of them. But um, I think that going into a little in depth or, or going into some of the comic books on this episode will be pretty fun because I think before we start recording, you said that you're you're a pretty big comic book nerd. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I grew up on them, and I was pretty much into them all through my childhood. When I got to my teen years, I kind of discovered other things. I got into uh, punk rock, motorcycles, and girls, and kind of left comics behind for a little while. And then I think in my late 20s, early 30s, I stumbled into a comic shop and remembered how much I loved these things <laughs> and started reading some of the new stuff coming out. And uh, kind of buying up some of the older issues that I had when I was a kid, because I think by the time I reached that age, I was kind of like maybe remembering my youth a little more fondly and wanting to have the things that I had back then. So it was a time, it was a period of time that I wasn't really into comics, and that was pretty much the '90s. And everyone says, "Yeah, don't worry, you didn't miss much." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. So you got the girl, <laughs> uh, you got the music. Uh, you got the bike, and then you went right back into comics. I did. I was <laughs> I, I veered off into trying to be cool for a little bit, and then I went right back to my nerdy self. But see, I think um, a lot of people think, oh, nerdy. But me, I'm like, well, nerdy is like the new cool, right? Like being nerdy about something is what you do. <laughs> I agree. Now, I don't know how old the two of you are, but I'm old enough to remember that when I was young, when I was a kid, Comic books were not cool. This was not way cool. before all the big Marvel movies and all the big yep. uh, properties that were coming to screen. 
So if you were into comics, you were a nerd and you got picked on and you basically had to hide your hobby with your other nerd friends in the library at lunch <laughs> and not let anybody see. So, uh, yeah, it's the new cool now, but it always it wasn't always like that. You're like hiding your Spider-Man uh, uh, specific uh, book inside of a Playboy or something. <laughs> yeah, Don't see, the, beat the, me. The Don't beat me up. The big difference is that back when I was a kid, you brought a comic book into the class to read. You got it taken away or ripped up by the teacher. But now, if you do that, the teachers are excited that you're reading, no matter what it is. <laughs> right. I, was fact, say. I, have a, I have a friend who is a teacher, and uh, he teaches, uh, gosh, I forget what grade. I think it's like uh, early junior high grade. Um, in Arizona, near one of the big uh, Indian reservations or Native American reservations. And so a lot of his uh, students are from the reservation and they're kind of more on the lower end of the learning pole as far as, you know, um, everything goes because they've not really been exposed to a lot that, te you know, teachers never really took them seriously. They live right. in small towns. Not as many opportunities. So, exactly. So what my friend did was he brought his entire comic book collection into his room and got the kids fascinated about these comic books and told them, if you finish your work uh, before the bell rings and the class is over, you can walk over to that shelf, pick out a comic book and read it. And he suddenly had all his students getting all their work done really fast because they wanted to read those comics. And so they, he got them interested in not just the comic books, but in reading. So yeah, that's I, that's I like a great way. Yeah, it's the new cool, and I guess it's the new learning tool. That's amazing. You really tricked them into doing the work twice because uh, <laughs> now they're learning new things from comic books and exactly. probably new words and yeah, exploring new worlds. That's amazing. Yeah, and that friend of mine who's a teacher who does that, he is one of my good friends way back from junior high school who we were the group that hid in the library at lunch break reading <laughs> comic books and trading comics. Uh that's hilarious. great. <laughs> so um, we so this month is Pride Month, um, which you know I'm I'm gay. It's very important to me, and you know it's important to Jets. But there are some pretty interesting, I guess, new new stuff coming out. And uh, Jets, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, Marvel Voices. They're putting out uh, presumably a series of of uh, just discussing different uh, minority topics, and so their first. Uh, First twelve is uh, about different LGBTQ um, characters that they have. So um, yeah, featuring twelve all new stories um, like Mystique, uh, Nico, Iceman, Karma. Um, what was the new one said? Somnus, I think. Yeah, what does he do? Uh, he is a dream controller, actually. Oh, that's right. He uh, controls dreams, but uh, he can never live up to any of his dreams or something like that, which is just really sad. So, I mean, with with Marvel, though, because um, it, D Disney owns Marvel, correct? Uh, they purchased Marvel. And so, so they're adding all this, but they're it's really interesting. And I would like to get um, Eddie's point of view on this, but and I'm probably going to I'm going to go off a topic a little bit on this, but oh, no just problem. to I have. I have plenty to say on all of this, so go ahead and ask your question. <laughs> well, they're they're trying to introduce, kind of trying to bring um, what, it, what seems to be 
uh, X-Men into this universe, the the Marvel universe, even more so, right? Like they're trying really hard at grasping that. And I'm sure you probably saw WandaVision. I mean, anybody oh, that is <laughs> amazing, like amazing. Yeah. I loved it. It was amazing. Agreed. And you kind of saw that in WandaVision where they're trying to bring that X-Men, but they didn't, like a lot of people said, well, they didn't do it correctly. Like, you know, X-Men is a, is a gene and like, it's not something that's created. And, but it's almost like Wanda was creating that in, um, Mm -hmm. in Monica, right? Like it's almost like, because Monica went through the, the, that force field a couple of times, she became a mutant. Yeah. Well, keep this in mind as well. I tell this to people all the time, all the big Marvel movies, all the TV shows, they're not really made for you and I, the hardcore comic fans. They're made for the general public who probably yeah. has never even read a comic book. So if they fudge the origins a bit here and there, it's they're doing it for their own ease of storytelling to basically get these characters across to the general public who's going to see these movies. Because if they made them uh, perfect down to the T to the comic to please the comic book fan, they would be doing that to the detriment of the larger audience that actually pays to go see these movies. Yeah, they I, have I don't 90 know if minutes what I'm to... saying quite makes yeah. sense, but oh, yeah. we are yeah. not the main audience of those movies. We are it's the ones the pe- that love them and champion them, but the main general public out there, they're the ones that these movies are making huge fans out of. And the sad thing is that I meet people all the time that when I tell them, uh, you know, if I go out somewhere and I tell them what I do, like, oh, you know, I, I do a comic strip and I own a comic book shop. And they go, oh, my God, I just saw the last Avengers movie. I totally <laughs> I go, oh, did, do you read comics? Do you ever read the, the material that they got the story from? No, I don't read comics. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the audience that these movies are being made for. They're not necessarily yeah. being made directly for us. So, again, if they fudge an origin a bit in order to get the characters they need into the next movie, they're doing it not to upset us, but they're just doing it to get those characters in, to get uh, new characters in the faces of the general public that they can become fans of and buy the T-shirt and buy the toys for their kids. Right. So, yeah. I See, for me, I also, and I don't know how it is for Jets, but I also see it as it's, it's kind of a good thing because they're not – like with WandaVision, you know, Wanda, the Scarlet Witch was was a part of the Avengers, but she wasn't like a huge, I mean, she was a huge character, but wasn't at the same time. And they're kind of bringing in those side characters more because uh, I don't know, you know, what their plan is, but I like that they bring in those, the sidekick characters almost, right? Where it's not Captain America. They're actually bringing in somebody different. Yeah, the lesser heard characters. Yeah, and the amazing thing sure. is they're I mean, getting... there were times in the run of the actual Avengers comic book through the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s where the lineup changed constantly. And there would yeah. be uh, periods of time where the team didn't really even have those big known characters like Iron Man or Captain America or Thor in them. You know, there was a period of time where actually... Uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were pretty much mm-hmm. the main characters. Yep. Yeah, so I absolutely loved what they did with WandaVision. I thought they did it great. Um, anyone who's going to complain that it wasn't exactly like the comic, just calm down. <laughs> because <laughs> this, it, they cannot do exactly the same thing in the movie or TV show that they did in the comic. And I will um, give an example of the Watchmen movie. They pretty much tried to, except for the ending, they pretty much tried to 
copy the comic literally beat for beat, scene for scene. And in my opinion, it just didn't work Mm -hmm. because comics and film are two completely different mediums. And the way you tell stories and the way they move and progress are completely different. Right. And I know that I, I, I don't think they followed it to a T, um, but they, they took a lot of like with Wonder Woman, they took a lot of that, that um, some of the comics book stuff. Right. Sure. And a lot of people with Wonder Woman 1984, people were really upset because they're like, well, it's really sexist. Well, that was the, how comics were. Right. Like you for first off, like with Wonder Woman being the main character in that in a comic book, um, for the time, that was really exciting. Like mm-hmm. a woman that was a superhero. Yeah, she she was still dependent on a man. And that's what people were mad about. Oh, she's really dependent on a man. Well, but that was the time period. That was how it worked. And yeah, yeah it was sexist. It, it didn't have to be. I mean, there were a lot of right. other, bigger problems with that last Wonder Woman movie oh, well, besides the, that. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I wanted to like it, but unfortunately, I didn't. <laughs> I, see, I liked it because uh, Kristen Wiig, right? Like, I loved her. Yeah, the actor. Oh, she, yeah, she yeah. was good in it, but I really thought that a lot of the, uh, unfortunately, out of the story points and and character motivations and things that were going on were just not very well done. <laughs> Especially no. after the first the first movie, I thought was so well done and so enjoyable. I was really expecting not just more of the same, but for them to raise the bar. Yep. And then they just like lowered it really far. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. it's like, I really like, well, this is really all right. <laughs> wow. We really went off topic. I thought yeah. We so we we'll get back on topic with that. Voices. Yeah. So um, what is your opinion on, on some of these, uh, I guess, a somnus that they're bringing in? Uh, I don't think somnus has made much of an appearance. So I am all for it. And I'll tell you why. I really think that comic books are for everybody. For the mm-hmm. longest time, comics really appealed to just the white straight male. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't always like that. It, back in the 50s, the uh, average comic book reader was split 50-50 between uh, girl and boy. Wow. And, and then in the, in the That's 60s, cool. you had older readers coming in when comics became a little more sophisticated and a little more, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Less childlike uh, with the way Marvel wrote stuff. And you had a lot of college kids that were starting to read comics, but back in the forties and fifties, boys and girls read comic books equally. And then come the sixties and seventies and eighties, it all skewed towards just boys and not Mm -hmm. just boys, but white straight boys. That's who comics were being written by. That's uh, what comics were being, who comics were being written for. Mm-hmm. And I am all for showing a, a diversity of characters and creators in comics. I really think it's needed. And I really, oh, it makes my blood boil when people online will fight against that and saying, you know, quit changing my characters, quit, quit <laughs> you know, shoving these viewpoints down my throat. You know, there's a diverse amount of people in the world with diverse amount of lifestyles and opinions. And why can't the characters in comics reflect that? Right. And what they don't understand, like when when um, I was younger, I should have probably picked up a comic book more often um, because, you know, but there wasn't anything geared for me. But if there had been, you know, a character that I could relate to, 
that that could have you know been mm-hmm. tremendous to me and then it's the same now like if you have a gay character or a lesbian character or a transgender or whatever you know it, it, it's somebody that a child can relate to it doesn't matter who they are but it it could be somebody that is relatable to and it's going to help them right like yeah. oh i see this i'll tell you a story that i love and this happened in my comic shop when my wife and i were working one day this was several years ago are you guys familiar with the newer uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur comic book? Yes. Okay, so the main character is a young black girl and uh, who's supposed to be, you know, one of the smartest characters in the Marvel Universe. And one day there was a, a gentleman that came in with his, his young daughter. It was a black gentleman came in with his young black daughter. And he was going around and looking at stuff and getting his comics. He was obviously a comic book reader and was like picking up his his weekly stash. And the girl just looked bored. She was following her dad around, but not really looking at anything, just looking bored. So um, my wife approached her because my wife is really big on bringing people other than just the regular people who read comic books into the fray, into expanding the, fold, the tent, you know, get new yeah. readers that, mm-hmm. and show them that there are more diverse characters. So my wife picked up a copy of the, at that time, there was a reprint of moon girl, devil dinosaur that was out. That was like a dollar reprint and we had a bunch of them. So she picked one up and she brought it to the girl and said, do you know what? And the girl looked at her like what? And uh, she, my wife said, you look, just like Lunella and the girl that are confused. And she did. She looked like the main character uh, in Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, uh, complete with the little, what my wife calls uh, uh, chongos in, inside of her head, which is basically Spanish for like the little braid things. You know, inside yeah. Of her head. Um, and so my wife shows her the comic book and says, see, you look just like Lunella, the main character in this comic book. And she's one of the smartest characters in all of the Marvel Universe. And the little girl's eyes just lit up. And my wife gave it to her and she ran to her dad and said, Daddy, Daddy, look, she looks just like me. She looks just like me. So that's why it's important to have a range of different characters and different viewpoints and, you know, different lifestyles, different ethnicities in comics, because any comic out there is potentially someone's first comic. Mm-hmm. And are they yep. going to see someone that looks just like them? Or are they going to see someone that just looks like all the other people out there that, you know, treat them badly and call them names or just ignore them or treat them like they're nothing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's especially important for minority groups where they can see somebody that's like them. Um, and potentially they're not even out, uh, but they identify with this hero and, and nobody judges mm-hmm. them harshly. And they have this superhero power. And how many people will get out of that book the courage to be themselves? Yep. Exactly. And, and that's yeah. what's important. And I'm uh, lucky that our shop is located in Santa Monica, Southern California, which is a very progressive area yep. um, of the city. And we try very, very hard. When we took over the shop six and a half years ago, both my wife and I said, we are going to make the shop inviting for everybody. We don't care who you are. We don't care what color you are. We don't care what is between your legs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Any of that. We want you to come in 
and read good comics because comics are fun and we want you to be part of this cool club. And yeah, and I think comics are like games in a way. That. Yeah. We've Where you want that, to that viewpoint and yeah. we've never backed away from it. Yeah, it's amazing. I think uh, comics are like games in a way. You you want to enter this universe to escape reality a little bit too. Like so all of the the head trash and noise in the world. I want to come into this environment, uh, be accepted and be introduced to comics and enter this new world where uh, people are not themselves. They have superpowers and uh, sure. they uh, fight as heroes. They uh, fight off the bad guys. Yeah. And we want the environment where you buy those comics to be just as inviting. Yeah. Uh, when we like, for instance, when we took over the shop six and a half years ago, the customers are pretty much just all men. If yeah. a woman actually walked in the door, you could see that that trepidation in her body language, in her eyes, that she felt like, I don't belong here. This place is weird. It looks weird. And, you know, they're going to look at me weird. You know, they think of like the comic shop in uh, The Simpsons with like the, you know, the <laughs> comic shop guy. You know? So um, we really try to change that atmosphere. And my wife, when she's behind the counter and a woman walks in and they have that kind of attitude uh, in their body language, my wife will look at them and, you know, say, hello, welcome to Heidi Ho. And immediately you could see that, 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 that kind of attitude just melt away from them. Like, Oh, you know, it's okay to be here. I'm safe. Just the relief across their face. Yeah. That they're because when they yeah. Walk in, yeah. They walk in and they see a woman is working behind the counter. And she looks, you know, happy and friendly like she belongs there. It only makes anyone else feel like they belong there as well. And I think um, a lot of the times, and it's it's something I want to go over, like, in, in a later episode when I find somebody, to, you know, that can, can weigh in on this. But um, women are treated completely different when it comes to comic books or gaming or anything like that. Like, Software development. Right. They are treated yeah. like they don't belong. And that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, my wife has experienced that working in the shop. Yeah. I mean, she started working there not really knowing anything about comics, and she learned. And the reason why she was determined to learn and read as much as she can was because the men would come in and treat her like she doesn't know anything. Literally, they would come up to her, uh, ask her a question, and my wife would give them the answer, and they would immediately turn to a male employee and walk over there and ask them the same question. Which wow. I mean, wow. yeah, and that's happened yeah. more than once. So it it happens, and it's out there, and all we can do is just, like I said, present an inviting shop that basically, kind of, hopefully, kind of fights that attitude off. Yep, change the culture. Exactly, By being the culture we want it to be. Yep. Yeah. All right. So we've. We've, we've dived deeper into more um, comic books, but I, I kind of yeah we went we went off topic. That's we we stayed on topic. We just we just discussed more. Yeah, just um, all it's fine. It's fine. Um, so thing I did just cut all that. Out. No, no, it's good. I, I think it's important, especially to have a shop. You know, like Heidi Ho Comics um, that can provide something like that because you're not going to find like where we live. Um, we live in Idaho, and in the town that we live in, there's not a comic book store at all. Like you can't, there's not one. Uh And the closest one is probably two hours away. Yep. Yeah. 
So like if we're buying comics, it's online or it's digital, you know, things like that. Um, so I think having a place that is inviting and it's diversified and, you know, it, it, anybody can that walks in feels welcomed is important. Exactly. All right. So let's jump into um, your love of comics. And I think, Jess, did you want to kind of explore his early love of comics? Sure, yeah. I I just really want to know more about um how you got into uh reading comics, how you got into uh authoring your own, uh drawing them and the generative process. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, just to really learn more about how you got into it. Well, the earliest memory I have of getting into nerdy comic book type stuff, and this is gonna age me. And you, I fear that you guys might not even know what I'm talking about. But when I was a kid, there was a show on PBS called The Electric Company. And yep. they have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah sure. I, okay. I haven't. So. It was kind of like a Sesame Street type educational type show. Okay. okay. Uh, but they would have Spider-Man on this show. And, they would, and I would watch it all just to see waiting for the, the Spider-Man bit. And it was pretty lousy by today's standards because it was just a guy in a lousy Spider-Man costume that would come out. He wouldn't (laughs) even talk. He would just have thought bubbles that would pop up over his head on the screen and he would point to them. And that was about it. (laughs) But uh, I, I, I don't know what it was about the character that mesmerized me. And so when I would go to the store with my mom or dad when I was a kid and there would be a spinner rack of comics, I would see Spider-Man and I would want it. And so uh, my parents, you know, and back then comics were cheap. They were only, you know, 30, 40 cents, whatever. And they would buy me one. And I remember a lot of times when I was sick home from school, my dad on his way home would stop at a drugstore and, you know, pick up his smokes and then buy a couple of comics for me to read, you know, to bring home to me because I was sick. And the only character he recognized was Spider-Man. So anything that Spider-Man had, <laughs> he would just pick it up. And I just developed a love for Spider-Man from then on. And as I got a little bit older, like early teens, 12, 13, I started uh, finding friends in junior high that also liked comics and we would collect and trade and go, you know, buy more. And, and it just kind of developed from there. And I just developed this collector mentality of you get some and you want more and you get more than you want even more. And before you know it, you got a whole bunch and your mom is yelling at you because they're all over your room. And, but they were, they were all precious to me and I loved them. And kind of like how I said before we started recording and when I was telling a little bit about my more teenage years, when I was a teenager, uh, I started getting into different things. I started getting, I got a motorcycle. I started getting into punk rock and going to punk rock shows and, and kind of started trying to, you know, got interested in girls and comic books kind of just fell away. And then later on in my life, I think maybe like uh, about 30, early 30s, stumbled into a comic book shop and remembered how much I love these things and just suddenly wanted them in my life again. And that collector mentality kind of just crept back up again. (laughs) And I just wanted more and more. And um, as I kind of got more and more into comic book collecting, I later, I 
met my wife and, um, you know, was in a relationship with her. And I, I think, gosh, I'm trying to remember when we got married exactly. It seems like so long ago. But at the time we were uh, married, like newly married, I started because I used to draw a lot when I was a kid when I would read my comics. I would always try to draw the pictures I see and I always loved it. And I always thought one day I'm going to be a comic book artist and not realizing that that was a completely stupid dream. <laughs> and I say that lovingly because it is a hard industry to break into and you're not always treated the best. And the people that write and draw comics, they do it not because uh, it's a huge windfall of money. They do it because right. they love it. They absolutely love it. See, so I think that's I. better, right? Like when you, you have a love, for, when you have a love for something, it it's you put yeah, more passion behind it. You're doing yeah, it for all the right reasons. Something, when you have a love for something, you do it even when you're not making money at it. And yeah. um, surprise, that's comic books. <laughs> <laughs> it's you if you want to break into comics or you want to break into self-publishing your comics, you will spend a lot of time doing this without making money until you get to a point where you are it's that idea of do what you love and the money will follow right because it takes time uh i started doing my comic strip back in 2013 because at that oh. time you know my wife and i we were started going to san diego comic-con together and just was really getting into this and she was kind of seeing how kind of cool how cool it is as well um and i really liked the idea of being on the other side of that table you know, going to conventions and mm -hmm. seeing creators on the other side of the table, signing books for people. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. I would love to be like that. And I just had a bug up my butt about wanting to be creative again, like when I was a kid. And I had this idea of I want to do not necessarily a comic book, but a comic strip similar to what you see in the Sunday papers, you know, in the newspapers, mm -hmm. which yep. is old hat now because newspapers are pretty much almost dead. And People don't really do comic strips for newspapers anymore, but I grew up on those two and I loved them. And I really liked the idea of doing like kind of a gag day type of strip. So I wanted to do something that was kind of reflective of me and my love and the two things I love. I love comic books. I love my wife. And so I created the comic strip collectors, which is kind of, it's a weekly web comic. It started off as a web comic. It's still going as a web comic. And in the course of that, I've published uh, five volumes oh, wow. of the work that's been on, on the web, including new material that was never online and only in the books. And um, I thought I'm going to do something that is kind of, you know, indicative of me. And so I created this comic book collectors, uh, this comic strip collectors, which is all about it's loosely based on me, my wife and my comic book collecting. And all the nerdy stuff she's got to put up with living. With. <laughs> and my wife describes it as it's a comic strip about Eddie who loves his wife and his comic book collection, but not always in that order. <laughs> so it's it's a weekly web comic that you can find at my website, collectorscomic.com. And it's basically just poking fun with love, poking fun at, you know, nerd culture, comic books and marriage and dealing with significant others all in a weekly web comic. That's yeah, I, great. Yeah, I read a few of them uh, over the last few days, and I really liked it. Um, was your wife into uh, comics before she met you at all? 
or not did you introduce her? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Like I said, when we started going to San Diego Comic Con together, the reason why she agreed to go was because I told her that it's not just comic books. There's uh, stuff about film and TV, and they usually have special screenings of new upcoming TV shows. And she's she she's a big TV head. She follows a mm. bunch of different shows, and that attracted her. So while I was down in the dealer room thumbing through all the uh, boxes of comics, she would be up in a, in Ballroom 20 or Hall H uh, watching you know previews of upcoming TV shows. And she would be in there all day, and she would love it. And then afterwards, <laughs> we would meet up and go out to dinner on the town. <laughs> so That's it took awesome. a while. She didn't get into comics until I bought Heidi Ho in uh gosh what was it 2014 2015 I, I apologize i'm blanking don't remember um <laughs> it wasn't until we bought the shop that she decided you know what maybe i want to come work in the shop because she had been working in a different field for 10 years and was burnt out on it and wanted to do something different and fun and um little did she know that running your own business is sometimes not always fun <laughs> But Very uh, she kind of took to it. She started learning more about comics. She liked some comics beforehand. Like I would bring her home some things to read, um, like Walking Dead, because she's a big fan of horror films. And I thought, okay, well, if you're a fan of that, you should read some horror comics. And so she read Walking Dead. And then from there, she went on to read Why the Last Man. And she really kind of got into that. And from there, she kind of developed a taste for a lot of other type of comics and, you know, working in the shop and um, yeah. And she's at the point now where she actually co-hosts her own podcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Called uh, Comadres y Comics. My wife is uh, Latina and she hosts the podcast with two other Latinas and they talk about comic books in the comic book industry from a Latin perspective. So they talk about oh, wow. Latin comic book characters. They interview Latin comic book creators, um, that kind of thing. And she's kind of, you know, really into that now. So she's, she went from knowing nothing to suddenly being, you know, her own little expert. That's crazy. Yeah. That's and incredible. like I said, she's actually now the active manager of the comic shop since I stepped down from managing uh, last year in July. That's just and that's just amazing. Um, going from nothing to to where she's at with comic books. Yeah, yeah. I turned um, her into a full on nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so we're past our time, but um, I don't want to. I don't want to end because we still have a lot of questions. If you're okay with continuing, I am absolutely fine continuing okay. on. If you want to go longer, and you can always, you know. You can yeah, no, yeah, I'm good with continuing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, like I said, I love to talk about comics. Uh, I, I absolutely love it. So I can just go on and on. <laughs> well, we have uh, quite a bit of questions, and I think Jets has some more. So I'll, I'll try to be more concise in my answers. You're good. You're, <laughs> You're good. good. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna play it uh, by ear a little bit here. So um, earlier you were talking about burnout, and I don't know. If you don't want to cover it, uh, just tell me no. But um, in my industry, high tech, we have a lot of burnout. And one common pattern I'm seeing is you can work 80-hour work weeks and be just fine if you love what you do. Uh, but if you're doing something um, that isn't like in your wheelhouse or it's not something that re-energizes you, 
a 40 hour a week work week will burn you out. And I was just wondering if that's how kind of retail was for you uh, versus, you know, the generative process of, you know, drawing your own uh, comic strip and uh, coming up with your own stories. Yeah, that's kind of exact. I think you really got it exactly. Uh, when I first bought the shop and we started managing it and running it, it was a new challenge. So it was exciting. And as the years went on, it started to become a little more monotonous for me. Uh, it became, it started to become stressful at certain times when you've got to like, you've got to budget uh, your time with um, the bookkeeping, the shifts that you're actually working in the shop, uh, processing collections that come in and, and uh, processing the new stuff that comes in. It gets to a point where it's, it's, it is a lot. 90% business and 10% comics where exactly. you're doing more and more of all, just running a retail business. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people all the time, uh, the surefire way to never have time to read comic books is own a comic book shop. And people say all the time, <laughs> Oh, you're living the dream owning a comic book shop. You don't you know, you get to sit around and read comics all, all day. It's not like that at all. It is a business like any other business and you've got to work your butt off. And when you're, yep. you're the owner Every single problem falls on you, you know, because you are the person that mm -hmm. everyone else, the staff, anyone else are looking to, to fix this, you know, and we, um, uh, part of our shop, we have gaming, we have uh, magic, the gathering is, uh, we have a big community and they have gaming there pretty much, uh, most nights of the week. And there's been times, for instance, where, a uh, perfect, perfect example is where I'm getting a text at like. 11 30 12 at night that because sometimes the gaming would go on till you know past midnight and i would have you know one or two staff there running it and then closing up and i'm getting a text at like close to midnight saying hey eddie the toilet busted oh, oh no and, oh yeah that's a problem yeah and meanwhile there's still a store full of gamers there and here yep. i am getting out of bed putting on my pants and <laughs> rushing over there to fix this <laughs> Because no one else is going to, you yep, know, it's, yeah. it's all on me. And, you know, you times that by a hundred and that's what it's like owning any retail shop, anything mm -hmm. that goes wrong, you are the guy that everybody looks to. So it is nonstop. Even when you have a day off, you are constantly bombarded by texts from employees or texts about whatever business from my partners that has to be taken care of. So it never ends. And, um, I don't regret buying the shop at all. I don't regret managing the shop. I learned so much that I can apply to pretty much anything in my life. And, um, you know, it's, it's an experience that I treasure, but I did after six years, almost six years, get to the point where I thought to myself, Oh, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It's getting to be too much. I'm not sleeping at night. I'm stressing about the bills that have to be paid. Um, I'm stressing about, you know, the inventory that has to be picked up here. I'm trying to keep everything straight in my head and it's just, it's, it's burning me out. And I went to my partners and told them I've reached a point where I think I have to step away from managing. I can't do it anymore. We need to get somebody else in here and we need to divide up their, um, responsibilities to be just managerial day-to-day -day stuff in the store. They cannot, because mm -hmm. I was there managing the shop and also on top of that handling, a large chunk of the owner responsibilities. So I was doing both of that and I was mm. just completely burnt out. So 
I did step away. I still own the shop and I'm still doing the owner type responsibilities from behind the scene. But my wife stepped in and she's now actively managing the shop. We took all the owner responsibilities off the plate for her. So she's just handling all the day-to-day responsibilities in the shop that need to be taken care of. And then everything else like bookkeeping and payroll and all that stuff that's owner stuff, you know, that can be taken care of on, you know, elsewhere from me from home. She doesn't have to deal with that. So she's doing the job the way I wish I could have been doing the job. (laughs) And actually being in in the store and doing, doing the management part. Yeah. And enjoying it more because she's not, completely bombarded by 50 million jobs that she has to get done in a small amount of time and right. failing at it at a day, on a daily basis. And I think that's probably where it, it starts to become really hard when you feel like you're just failing every day. Right. When it's like, yeah. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't exactly. do this because I was so busy. And yeah. And then all that stuff gets, gets pushed onto the next day where you already have a long list of stuff that you got to get done that next day. And that list just grows and grows and grows. And it just becomes a giant thing over your head that uh, you can never, ever get to. And part of it, unfortunately, I have to admit, part of it is my fault because I, I have this mentality of, Oh, I'm not going to bother anybody. I can handle it. I can do it. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. And the problem is that you can't, do everything you have to ask for help you have to say i need to take this off this and this off my plate i need you guys to do it because this that's left over this is all i can handle so when my wife stepped in we really talked about that and we really told our partners this is what she needs to be handling and then we as owners need to be taking these other things away from her so she doesn't burn out the same way I did. And I think it's good to set those boundaries. Like she's a manager, we're the owners, we do this. Mm-hmm. She's there managing and, and getting to do the fun, you know. And, and you know, managing is not always fun. You, you'll have the hardships and stuff where, you know, maybe one day she'll have to go fire somebody because of something, but uh, she no, still gets to have like, fun. My wife is Latina. She likes to fight. She, she, she <laughs> likes to fire somebody <laughs> and just shove it all in their face. <laughs> that's I bet, funny uh, i bet no bullshit locks through that door yeah <laughs> no my wife is i i can't describe her in any other way but a firecracker i mean we do <laughs> unfortunately awesome. with the santa monica area there are a lot of homeless people yeah and mm. you know i feel for their situation but there are unfortunately a lot of people on the street who are homeless who have mental problems mm-hmm. they yeah. will come in and cause disruptions and problems and my wife handles it like a champ she will go up to them she's not rude or mean she will go up to them and be as friendly as you can imagine and get right in their face and say hello how are you can i help you can i do anything you know and be like overly attentive to the point where they get frazzled and they leave right away killing <laughs> with kindness it's amazing exactly and i've seen her chase down shoplifters as well and really oh, tackle them. oh my gosh yeah, I mean, <laughs> don't need to steal. Come on, just if you're in there, just buy it. Yeah, or if you're gonna steal, don't steal when my wife is there, because <laughs> you will get pummeled. <laughs> Sounds like she's there all the time. So if you if you plan on stealing, kind of shit out of luck. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's great. 
So yeah, burnout is a real thing. And I, unfortunately, I did experience it. And part of it also is not just the massive workload of, of managing and owning the shop, but also the fact that um, as much as I loved owning the shop um, and loved being a part of that, my true love has always been being a comic book creator. And um, when I was being so overloaded with everything at the shop, it left very little time to really do my comic strip. I would struggle to try to do uh, my weekly comic strip and I would fail a lot of times and I would miss weeks. And, uh, you know, I would try to do a book every year. And there was a year where I missed putting out a book and I hated that. And I, I started to resent the amount of time that I was spending having to be in the shop because I wasn't being able to spend time home as a creator. So um, it really caused a problem for me. And when I told my wife all this and told her, you know what, my heart is not here. My heart is really over here. As much as I love doing the shop, my heart is really over here. And I want to do so much more with this. And I don't want to go to my grave never having tried. That's awesome. And then she she supported you. And I think that's really important that she was able to support you on that aspect, too. Like, that's what yeah. you want to do. Do it. Right. Yeah. And she had been saying that for the longest time. She said, if you're not happy, then go do what you need to do to be happy. And, you that's know, I'm awesome. going to support you 100 percent. It was me that took a while to come around because I thought to myself, but if I leave the shop, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And you know what? The shop is still standing. I left. The shop is still standing. And when I say I left, I'm just not in there working regular shifts. You right. know, I still own it, still running payroll, still helping with the bookkeeping. I'm still helping, helping with things behind the scenes. But the amount of time I'm spending doing that is much less. It allows me the time to be able to pursue my creative career. I think that's great. Yeah, and being a maker and actually creating, um, and I don't think it's much different from any of uh, the arts. So if you're creating and writing software or uh, writing a comic strip or um, creating a podcast, it's just uh, really enjoyable to sit down, have a concept, uh, create it, and have made something. And that, mm -hmm. there's a dopamine hit in that, right? Mm -hmm. there and is. there's a sense of completion. Like I completed that. And sometimes you're not always, uh, you don't always enjoy every creation, but, uh, but there it's really enjoyable to create something. Yep. That's uh, for me, that's like how it is for um, uh, sewing, you know, creating, creating something like that, being creative. Um, it, it really gets those creative juices flowing. And I think that's where, that dopamine comes in because you're able to really think about it and really put it together and like stories you can sit there and think about the stories in the comic book strip even if it's just of your life you know you're adding in more stuff or you're you're going back and remembering and and adding it to your comic book strip if it's you know like yours is uh loosely based off of your life so you're able to take some of your story and add it into that but yeah. being able to remember that and, and look at it and add or, or remove or you know however your your creative mark is is amazing yeah and you're right about the whole dopamine hit thing because a lot of times when you are creating something whether it's podcasts whether it's uh software whether it's you know my comic strip you don't always love doing it in fact sometimes mm -hmm. when you're in it it is a slog you are just hating it 
you know, and but you get through it. And when you're done, you look back on what you did and think, wow, I did that. And you do it not necessarily because you love it. You do love it, but you do it because you feel that like you have to. Like mm-hmm. there is this thing inside of you and it has to come out, whether you decide to pour it into a podcast or um, any other endeavor. It just it has to come out. And if it doesn't come out and this is the problem that I had. If it doesn't come out and you're stifling it, you are miserable. You are unhappy. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was. I was unhappy. I was frustrated. I would get angry. And I realized it's because I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm not getting this out. However it is, I'm not getting this creative energy, this creative flow out onto the paper. Yep. Yeah, I 100% agree. You, you're miserable if you don't, if you're not mm-hmm. getting it out. And so... And for someone who doesn't create, you know, like my wife, they don't fully understand. You'll try to explain it that, you know, I, I can't get this out and it's making me angry and frustrated and miserable. They don't understand. And so, well, mm-hmm. you know, they'll say things like, well, how many hours a week do you need to, you know, do your comic strip? Okay, well, you need what, this many hours? Okay, we'll just fit it in right here. They don't understand that it's something that you have to uh, think about, sit with develop and it's not just something that you say okay it's time to create and you sit down and just start doing it and then when yeah the time is up you say okay i'm done a lot it of doesn't the creation work that way the creation, the creation yeah yeah the, the the creative spirit or the drive or the actual creation itself sometimes it's on its own timeline and you need to be able to to um well you know to you know make for that you know make that have that open time and and have the other things in your life basically all blocked out. Yeah, and a lot and a lot of it can happen during a, a background process where you're um, just uh, possibly doing something else, and then you have that moment of inspiration and you grab your notebook. Mm-hmm. I, I think for like me, I've noticed that a lot of the times I'll be. Um, it's weird, oddly enough. It's like I'm driving and I'm listening to music, and then I'll start like the creative juices start flowing then for me. Oh, yeah, like no, that's, that's the perfect time. That happens yeah. to me all the time, too. Uh, some of my best comic strips, my favorite ones, I've written while I'm driving. <laughs> you know, literally yeah. driving to and from the shop and being stuck in traffic. Yeah. I think it's when we are able to stop thinking about everything else in life and let our mind just rest. It becomes, you know, it jumps into that creative mode where it's like, okay, now is our chance to be creative. Yeah, you are accessing a part of your brain that is not going over the list of all the things that you have to do that day, mm-hmm. which is a killer of creativity. Oh, it's yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> unless and I mean, unless that's what you like to do, that's your creative part, right? <laughs> well, you know, and unfortunately, owning a comic shop is continuously going over in your head the list of things that you have to do today or tomorrow or next week. And so it does, it, it kills creativity and it killed my creativity and it really, uh, unfortunately made me miserable. So that's what made me burn out and that's what made me decide to step away. So right now, yeah, I am in a point where I'm still involved with the shop, helping to run it, but I have the time to focus on my uh, creative career and start to work on all the things that I wanted to do. I want to put out more books. I want to uh, uh, do more um, creativity with animation with my comic strip. Oh yeah. 
and and just a lot more. So now I feel like I'm almost, you know, freed up enough to be able to start doing all of that instead of just talking about it. And then another year going by and me talking about it and, and then another year going by. Yeah, so you're actually being you feel like you're being productive now instead of like, okay, well I'm gonna do it and then never getting to be able to do it. Yeah. 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 And I'm glad that I'm married to someone that one understands it and two has such a good sense of humor that they put up with me basically doing a comic strip about them (laughs) (laughs) and which she doesn't mind because really her character is she's you know is the smart one and the cute one and uh i'm the doofus (laughs) yeah i really like the the two characters um and then kind of just the banter back and forth uh there is one strip about uh uh basically um, I think you were saying something along the lines of, uh, or she was thinking uh, something along the lines of, man, I hope he says something besides anything about comic books. And then <laughs> he asked about dinner or food or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it, that was uh, a comic strip that I did pretty much in the height of quarantine. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the strips from last year really focused on just she and I, and some of the auxiliary characters weren't really present. And, I think anyone can identify with you being locked up in a house for a long period of time during the pandemic and just basically seeing the same person every single day, day in, day out. And I think you reach a point where you just want to smack them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And that's where um, that comic strip came from where she is basically, she's done with me. She's basically, you know, looking at me like, "You better tell me something really amazing right now, or that's it." And I just suddenly out of the blue put down my comic book and say, "Hey, I'm hungry. How about I make tacos for dinner?" That's right. And that's the magic word. That's tacos. Yeah. yeah, that's what that's I love great. about comics. Is it conveys that uh, like mutual sense of uh, feeling and ideas and social sentiment that we're all having, um, and other people identify with. I think almost all of our listeners can probably identify with that very moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The fun part of my comic strip is a lot of times when I do conventions, because remember those, um, I will get a husband and wife come by my table, or actually what happens is uh, I'll get a husband and wife near my table. The husband might be looking at comics in boxes, you know, nearby, kind of just like flipping through while the wife is standing there looking bored. And I'll hand her my comic and I'll say, you know what? I bet you can really identify with, with this comic strip. And she'll start reading some of them and start laughing. And she'll start like elbowing her husband going, look, look. Oh, my God, this is totally us. So I think just out of just wanting to tell the fun little story with, with out of love of my love for comics and my wife, I think I just kind of hit on something that everybody who is kind of similar to my wife and I can just totally identify with. That's I think that's hilarious. Yeah, another I mean, one I identified with was uh, the uh, collectors get poked where you're showing you the vaccine, and uh, <laughs> you're trying to climb walls. And, uh, yeah. She's basically telling you how many times uh, are you gonna do that before you accept your vaccine wasn't made with radioactive uh, spiders? <laughs> like you're not Spider-Man now. <laughs> Which I'm still upset about. I, everyone has said, oh my God, you're going to get superpowers when you get the, the vaccine. Weren't we promised that? Right. Yeah, I, I was told I was going to be a sleeper agent or something. I was like, all right, if I'm going to have like, if I'm going to have like deadly hands, hell yeah, I'm good with it. <laughs> <laughs> my I'm good. My 5G yeah, I is still terrible. To. 
Yeah. yeah, right. I feel lied to. This is this is crap. I want my I want my superpower or to be a sleeper agent or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and I think that people could identify with that, right? Like you, anybody that's gone and get uh, like uh, I think you know uh, Jets had said something like that similar in in his questionings before you know that we sent over, and it was we we feel like superheroes because we've had the vaccine the vaccine. Yeah, and and I mean, without the superpower, you you kind of have a superpower where it's like, we've been locked up for a year, and now I can go anywhere. I can go anywhere now because I'm back. I'm vaccinated, right? Like, if you forget the part that you yeah. lost everything, now right? We can go do everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you forget the part about losing everything, now we can go do everything. Yeah. yeah. And yet, when I walk outside without my mask. Oh, Knowing yep. that I can't, I still I feel weird. I feel like yeah, it's like, that, this isn't right. Something's it's a security right. blanket. Yeah, yeah we yeah. have masks have become that security blanket. And it's we were just in Vegas and um we were there Saturday. Well, we were there for the week, but um it was Saturday was their busiest busiest day in 18 months. And like I was terrified to walk past people. I didn't want to take my mask off. And it's like I'm like I'm invincible right now with this shit. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember before, obviously, I got the vaccine, you know, several months ago. I would go to the grocery store and I would constantly be around people who were like insisting on getting super close to me in the aisles, Ugh. just standing there or yeah. walking around with their masks down over their nose. Mm-hmm. And I would just get so angry. And I got to the point where I would literally start yelling at people. <laughs> and and I, I'm not joking. I would literally yell at people when um they wouldn't wear their mask right or they were getting too close to me and i i would just let them have it full barrel you know both barrels and you know uh most people they would get snotty or back away or whatever but i just felt like hey i'm totally justified in calling you an idiot right now because you're the reason why we're stuck in this and not getting past this because you can't wear your mask right how many months has it been you should know by now cover your nose People being yeah. selfish and, and not caring about anything. Exactly. And, and I think those people need, needed to be called out. They yeah. did. Yeah. I, I did that too. Yeah. And Jets hated that. But Jets would do it a, a different way. And his way was great because he would he would cough into his mask and be like, oh my God, I have a fever. I, I just haven't felt well for a couple of days. <laughs> and it's like, well, that works too. <laughs> a little more manipulative. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're going to get us kicked out. Yeah. yeah enough people, I'm sorry. They believe it like they back away or step aside because mm-hmm. they're like well i don't want to get sick and so there's just kind of a disconnect between how should i act and oh man this guy is sick next uh he's sick next to me and i do believe this thing is real i don't want to get sick it's like mm-hmm. okay can we cross that disconnect and maybe could you wear your mask right yeah see i couldn't be that sneaky or sly about it i i <laughs> I'm just too upfront and would tell people you're an idiot and this is why. <laughs> well, see, pre-COVID, that's how I would, that's how I would grocery shop is like during the winter months and where we're at, you know, it snows horribly. It's really cold. Um, I would actually have a fake cough because people would like scatter like cockroaches away from you. So it's like, that's how I'm grocery shopping. I'm going to make these people believe I'm sick and they don't want it. <laughs> It's like I can't do that now because they're going to tell me to leave or I'm something's going to happen to me. Right, right. <laughs> like, damn it, damn you, COVID! You took away my fun. 
Okay, so back on topic, um, Jets, what do you have that's next? Um, did you want to, was there a, you already talked about the specific uh, comic strips that you um, saw from uh, his his collection that you yep, really liked? sure did. Okay. Well, probably the big elephant in the room that you probably want to get towards is talking about uh, what happened at my shop during the uh George Floyd, uh, excuse me, George Floyd riots. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you said uh, I'll let you go into the explanation, and we can talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I'll tee it up a little bit. Um, go right ahead. Just because it's so interesting. So um, we live in a rural uh, city in Idaho, and uh, I think most of America didn't get to experience the riots firsthand. Right. Uh, so we all saw it through the news. So to get your uh, firsthand experience is going to be really great. Um, so on our side, kind of what we were seeing is, uh, we saw the George Floyd video and I think all of America just saw it and went, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and then the next day, uh, from our perspective, and we're only being fed what the media kind of feeds to you through a straw. Well, then we see the riots and the looting and people's, uh, you know, livelihoods being attacked. And then we're immediately thinking, well, that's not right either. And I think uh, the perspective you're about to give us is probably the first time I've heard it that way. So I'm really excited to hear it. So, Well, from my perspective, at least here in L.A., when it started, everyone started immediately comparing it to the Rodney King riots that happened back in the 90s. And the thing that was different back then was the riots were happening just in a basic central location of LA. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't spread out past that. So it was happening in areas of like South Central, East LA, um, pretty much just in that one area. So anyone outside of that in more affluent areas weren't really fearing for anything because it wasn't coming to their neighborhood. This was different because it kind of started in those original areas, but then we saw it spread out. We saw it spread out to like the mid Wilshire area, um, which is um, not the area that people would think riots would suddenly break out in and stuff would get lit on fire. And then um, that was right before it happened in Santa Monica. And my wife and I were working in the shop the day before it happened on a Saturday. And we saw somebody across the street from us, from our shop, boarding up their store. And my wife and I were looking at it weird, like, why are they doing that? It's not going to come here. It's, it's just not going to come. I mean, we kind of, at least I did, I grew up in LA. So I grew up with the experience of the Rodney King riots where it was centralized in one area. And mm -hmm. so we thought, well, that's stupid. That's, it's not going to come here. And so uh, we were actually, the next day we were closed because it was uh, right after we were able to open back up again after the lockdowns, because we were locked down for about two months. So we opened back up again, but because business and the whole area was so quiet, we were only open uh, for certain days, you know, shortened hours. So that Sunday when it happened, we were completely closed, which I thank God for because I did would not want any employees to have had been in the shop mm -hmm. when all that was going on and risk their lives. So I'm glad that nobody was in there in harm's way. And uh, we were home watching TV, just, you know, kind of just having a lazy day. And someone texted us, a friend texted us, uh, actually another comic book creator, and said, 
hey, turn on the news. Um, you're there's riots in Santa Monica. And we're like, what the heck? So we turned on the news and we saw that there were people that were looting the Santa Monica Mall. Now, the Santa Monica Mall is literally the next block over from us. So we're very close to that. And there, about a year or two previous, there was a, a train line that was put in that goes from downtown LA and like East LA area, central, uh, South Central area, that goes directly to Santa Monica and ends, the line ends literally right behind our shop. So oh. it's very easy for people who wanted to loot to jump on the train, take it all the way down to Santa Monica, and right where it ends is the mall and then the block where our shop is at. So uh, we were suddenly freaked out. We turn on the news and we see this and we go, oh my God, there's people looting in Santa Monica. And we, you know, they had a helicopter that was showing overhead. And my wife and I kept saying the same thing, you know, go to the left, go to the left, because we wanted to see our shop. Is yeah. it okay? And oh, how um, we unsettling. couldn't see really because there were uh, trees in the way. But uh, you probably all saw on the news the Vans store that was being completely wiped out of everything. Mm -hmm. That yeah. Vans store is right on our block. It's literally oh just about uh, two stores down from us. So that's our block. And uh, so we were completely mm -hmm. freaked out at that point. And we have a good friend that works that runs the uh, Santa Monica paper in the area. And he contacted us and said and showed us pictures because he was down in that area. And he said, yeah, oh the shop was broken into. Thankfully, uh, they did not break any of the glass windows. They broke one side door. They completely uh, shattered the wood and, and broke it open and flooded in. Because I saw the video. Someone like a week later said, you know what? I, I was down here and I was taking video of everything that was going on. And I just happened to... Uh, film the moment your store was broken into and everybody got in and he showed it to me and that's exactly what happened people were hammering that door i don't know what kind of tools they had in their hand but they were hammering on that door until the the wood just completely split and it opened up and you just see a flood of people go in and just grabbing and taking everything they went in How and they, they they kicked over fixtures they uh the register area is two glass counters and with the uh computer POS uh, point of sale system on it. They kicked those two things completely over shattering the glass. Uh, they went all the way back into the storage room and took things. They even went upstairs into my office and stole the safe. Oh my and gosh. The safe, the entire yeah. safe. Oh yeah. Ugh, yeah. So the whole thing. Um, but you know, the jokes on them though, I say, because we had literally just opened up one or two days before and it did literally <laughs> did no business. So there was no money in there. So the joke is on them. I, and that's good, though. Like you, it, I mean, besides all the other like inventory being taken. How did it feel? Um, so it was OK. It felt terrible because my wife yeah. and I were sitting at home watching this happen oh. where we weren't there and couldn't do anything. And I remember just feeling completely anxious. Yeah, it's, and it's my, kind of your life's work in a way, right? Just my heart beating, you know, yeah. complete, you know, I guess anxiety because we couldn't do anything. And Helpless. at one point, our friend who works on the paper contacted me by text. He said, hey, the um, National Guard is here and they're moving people out of the area farther south. If you wanted to get down here right now and board up the shop, now is your chance. So my wife and I went straight to Home Depot, bought a ton of wood and headed in there um, 
to get to the shop to board it up. Well, we made it about, we made it into the parking lot of um, the grocery store that's there. There's a, was it Ralph's or Vons? I forget. I think it's a Ralph's. That is about, oh, three or four blocks down away from our shop. We made it that far. And that shop was also what you saw on the news all the, you know, for most of the, um, most of what they showed that shop, that uh, grocery store was on the news. We made it to the parking lot and it was literally like a war zone. There were people running around uh-huh. with uh, tools and crowbars and everything, because as we were pulling in the uh, hardware store that was just a block over from that grocery store, we saw people breaking in and grabbing tools and crowbars and all kinds of stuff out of They're that shop. They're looting burglar tools. Yeah, exactly. So we were in that parking lot and people were coming in and out of that grocery store through, you know, broken glass and broken doors and throwing bottles. And there were police cars that were were coming by and throwing canisters of tear gas while this was going on. And we were in that parking lot going, what the hell do we do? We can't get past here to get to the shop because there was so much chaos going on. And there were literally people running past our car or my truck. And it, we just realized, look, we got to get out of here because at some point they're just going to start, you know, hammering my truck, you know, probably. And we uh, just decided, okay, that's it. We can't do anything. And we just turned right around and headed straight back home. Wow. So, and then we turned on the news and they were showing continuously, they were showing news reporters on our street that night after everybody had left. And, um, we kept looking side by, you know, to the side of any news reporter because we wanted to see, hey, can we see our shop? Our, our, we were just assumed all our windows were busted out. You know, we wanted, we wanted to see, can we see our shop? Can we see any of the windows? Is it yeah. okay? Is it busted out? You know, because at that point, anyone can just walk in and take whatever they want if there's anything mm-hmm. left. So um, we couldn't see. We didn't know. We just tried our best to go to sleep that night. And realize there's nothing we can do until the morning when we get there. And so I, honestly, I think I would have been getting drunk at that point. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I mean, what else do you do, right? Like, yeah, they had the I'm National Guard stationed on our street, literally. So there was, I don't even think if we wanted to, we could have gotten down there at all. <sighs> so um, we went the next morning as early as we could. And we saw what had happened. And thank God they did not break out any of our windows. Almost every shop down, up and down our street, the windows were, were broken <laughs> out. Ours, not a thing. They basically they got tired. Just, <laughs> yeah, they basically just demolished that one door to get in. And that was about it. Now, obviously, there was all the damage from inside. But from the outside... Oh, and then they there was we have two doors. One door they they shattered the wood to get in. The other one they tried to smash the glass on that one, but they couldn't. So <laughs> it was all cracked, but it was still intact. Oh so, wow! Yeah. So the next day it was us basically cleaning glass up from everywhere because and, and, of all the uh, fixtures you know that they busted up and trying to figure out what the heck did they take. That's that's rough right there because. What's knowing what they took, right? It's hard. Yeah. I mean, we could pretty much look around and go, well, that's gone. That's gone. That's gone. Um, and a new magic set had just come out. If you're not familiar with magic, the gathering, they come out with a new set of cards every three months. And just before we were allowed to open up, uh, during the lockdown, a new set came out. 
So when we, we were trying to sell uh, boxes of the set to um, people in our magic community while we were still closed. So we were putting all of it piled up in the window to display to let them know, hey, we got all this new magic product. Well, they took all of that. They took everything. The shelves and the windows mm. were completely empty. And, <laughs> they took it and all. And that's that, like, so know, magic. Of dollars of yeah, I was going to say magic, like the cards are just super, like you get a box, it's like what? The big, the big box was like $244 or, more, or something like well, that? Well, that, that particular set, uh, full booster box is about a, uh, like $110. Okay. There and it's still, I mean, that's a lot of money. Money. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's just crazy. And presumably it all just ended up on eBay or something? I don't know. You know what? Yeah. I actually, the days after, I would look on Craigslist in the area or anywhere else, Facebook Marketplace, to see if anybody was selling, you know, booster boxes of that set. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there were. I just, yeah. I didn't see any. And even if I well, did, what could I do? Right. There's you can't prove it because it's you know it's not like you have a serial like a serial number or anything like that on them. Yeah. Um, and and I think that it's horrible. Like um, you know we discussed this a little bit. I'm I'm extremely um, supportive of Black Lives Matter. Um, and you know like you had said before, people get confused about who is looting and who is rioting. Um, I'm. So I'm really supportive of the Black Lives Matter. I'm against the looting, but they, like you said, they're completely two different groups. Yeah, we had a lot of people asking because when we boarded up the shop the next morning to, you know, ward off any other, anything else that might happen, and most of the shops were boarded up for a good week or two after, uh, we pretty much put slogans all over the boards to show our support. You know, we put, yeah. uh, you know, we stand with George, um, Captain America would march, Wakanda forever. We just like just put up, you know, all kinds of spray painted, all kinds of slogans and everything on the boards. And there were people that are saying, well, why on earth would you support the people that that broke in and into your shop and looted it? And they don't realize unless you were there that the people that were there marching and protesting were a completely different group of people from the people that were the opportunists that just showed up in the area to break windows and to loot. And yeah. granted, the the anger felt by the people who were there to just break windows and loot, honestly, is perfectly justified. But they were not the people that were there to protest the injustice of what happened. Right, right. And and that's what's horrible. Like, I, I to go and destroy somebody's hard work, though. Um, it. It's not what, you know, I think what their, their message was about, right? It's not what their message is about. Um, yeah, what true, injustice. I, like, I, like we said, they weren't there to support or promote the message. Right, they were right. there to get what they can to basically show that. Leave and yeah. Yeah, you know, um, you know, you treat us like garbage and we're just going to take what we want kind of attitude. And I can understand that anger, but at the same time, it's not constructive. Right, and it, it it's also sending the wrong message. You're you're associating your your rioting and looting with it, the protesting, and so that's where that miss that disconnect happened. And it, it wasn't okay. It's like you don't, we can't have this disconnect because now people are just like, oh, you're you're domestic terrorists, and it's like, no, that's not what they are. You don't get to yeah. call them that. I think that's the most unfortunate part is how Black Lives Matter quickly was rebranded as a domestic terrorist <laughs> yeah. organization. It's just so sad. When the truth is, the the um amount of 
for all of the Black Lives Matter marches and protests that went on after that, the majority of them were peaceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, not yeah. all of them were violent. Not all of them were lighting things on fire or looting things. In fact, days after, they had several more people that were meeting and marching in different parts of L.A. And there was uh, a lot of people uh, over a couple nights that were marching and meeting in downtown L.A. And they were all marching with positive messages. And you were seeing people of all different colors. And you were there was no looting going on. It was just people out on the street marching and cheering and chanting and holding signs and basically saying, this is our message and we are here out of love. Yeah. Lifting each other up, not not encouraging each other to do yeah. something. And, and that, even though that, part of that and even though what happened to our shop happened when my wife and I were watching TV and seeing that we were, you know, we were uh, very hopeful as far as what could happen out of right and i you know i i said to you guys before we started recording that if my shop being looted could play a small part in uh bringing about justice rather than just law and order then i'm all for it i'm glad it happened yeah i i think that's wonderful you know and i think that's what the 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 people that were, were rioting and looting they didn't stop to think that a lot of these people that you're going to loot, you know, that own these businesses, they're, 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 they're small, it's a small business, it's not a, a massive corporation, but they're really supportive of you already, like, they're, they're there supporting you, and they, they wouldn't be like, oh, well, you don't matter, these people aren't going to say that to you. There's but, a small you know, group in this, uh, this, this country that does that, right? Yeah, but when you are angry over right. the injustices that have happened over the years, and you are seeing news stories about uh, uh, black people continuously being shot and caught on camera. At some point, mm-hmm. you are just so angry, you just want to lash out. Oh, yeah. And it's, like you said, I don't blame them for it. Um, I don't blame them for the anger they feel. Yeah, you can blame right. them for the actions they took, but you can't right. blame them the for anger. the anger that they felt. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's not the first time in history that this has happened for a, a, a diverse group, right? Like, um, or, or, you know... Uh, a group where there's injustice and, but it's just happening more and more and it, and, and the black lives are, are, are being taken more and it's horrible. Um, but you know, it's, it, it shouldn't happen is everybody should be treated equal. There shouldn't be, we shouldn't be killing people just because we want to, or, you know, half the time I think some of these people that are doing it are just sociopaths and psychopaths and they just get off doing it. Agreed. Uh, problem is that um, for many of these cops, if uh, you're a hammer, you see every problem as a nail. Mm-hmm. And you treat it as yeah. such. And you can't do that. Not every, not every problem is like that. And one of the even bigger challenges, unconscious bias, just because black men might be bigger and they right. have this unconscious bias of, of feeling more of a threat that's not there. Um, and those cultural things will be even harder to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you're a police officer and you fear for your life in all these situations, then maybe you shouldn't be a police officer because exactly. you're just not cut out for it emotionally yeah. or mentally. Yeah, and you right. should allow your training to... You should have good training and you should allow your <laughs> training to work. Yeah, or you should have training to recognize 
a situation where someone is suffering a, a, a mental disorder or a mental episode yeah. rather than being a violent criminal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly it. And and since we're on this topic, like I'm, and, and people are, are very confused when I start talking about this, but then, you know, they're like, oh, okay, I guess I understand. Um, I'm not for defunding the police, but I am for reforming. And, and I think that there should be, you know, a, a lot of, I guess, more psychological evaluations that go behind it before you can become a police officer. But there should be more um, education, I think. Yeah, um, well, you I know, think that um, the whole defunding the police uh, slogan, I think, is unfortunate because the people that are for defunding the police and say defunding the police aren't actually saying take money away from the police and get rid of the police. That's not what they're saying. They're saying take funding away from the police uh, so that they don't have to deal, basically saying take police away from having to deal with people who, like I said, who are dealing with mental right, yeah. Yeah. And the police are not social workers. So get them when it's a situation where a social worker is needed, put the funding towards that to have people that come out and take care of that rather than sending a police out um, to have them basically strong arm someone to the ground and tase them when right. they it's completely unjustified. Like there was a news story about a woman who was kind of suffering. I think she was suffering from dementia. She got away from her uh, caretaker at home, walked to a Walmart and grabbed a couple things off of a shelf and walked out of the store. Not yeah. she's suffering for dementia. She's not completely all there. So she's yep. not aware of what mm-hmm. she was truly doing and just started walking down the road home. And, so they, they called the police on her, uh, uh, the store, um, and the police came out and did not identify that this is a woman who's suffering from dementia. She's, she needs help. Mm-hmm. She, this is not a violent situation. Instead, the police officer wrestled her to the ground, broke her arm, mm-hmm. and tased her. Jeez. Yeah, it's unnecessary because she probably, first off, you have to think, she has dementia. Um, you're at, you should be asking her questions, and if she mm-hmm. can't, like provide her name or her birthday or anything like that, that should be a clue. Yeah. And that and that's where I think, that's where I was saying, where I think education should come in. Or if you do send the police out, we need to reform the police and have them better ed, better educated in those departments or in those yeah. situations, right? Where or better maybe... yet, there needs to be a branch of the police department or a separate department that the police consult with that takes care of a situation like this, that they come out yep. and they deal with this mm-hmm. woman in a way that is uh, proper for her mental condition as opposed to like i said the cop is a hammer she's a nail therefore get her to the ground break her arm and taser and and put her in handcuffs right that's not what the situation calls for no i I absolutely agree unfortunately the whole moniker of defund the police is uh, a little misguided because it automatically makes people think that they're gonna just take away all the money from the police departments and put all the police officers out of work no, and no. we're going to have no police. That's not what we're talking about. And no. We're talking about having the appropriate people deal with situations that the police should not be handling. Exactly. And and people forget. Like, they think it... I, I don't know if people believe that it takes a lot of education for to be, become a police officer. But you actually have to have more hours to be a cosmetologist than you do a police officer. To do someone's hair, you have to have more <laughs> educational hours. That is a problem. <laughs> like... Yes. Well, you make it simple. You want to be a police officer, you have to have a four-year college degree. There you go. And that's where I think it should be, where you have In other you have countries, heavy, it's like that. Yeah, and, and it should be heavy into 
psychology and and you know all of that because it's the psychology aspect of it is extremely important because not ever like you said not everything is hammer and nail there is psychology behind it there's someone has a mental disorder or a disability or dementia there's a lot behind it and it's not always well that person's a threat yeah we we hands down have a mental health crisis in america oh we do we don't have any really good resources to solve it and i don't know that anybody's really working on it well unfortunately from a political standpoint yeah we did but then uh back in the 80s we defunded a lot of those uh, Mm -hmm. clinics that were handling that kind of thing and basically just turned everybody loose out on the street air quote privatized it yeah well and i think the problem was because of how a lot of the the institutes were treating patients before you know, they weren't, they weren't as, I guess that they weren't as um, controlled. They weren't as watched. So there were some really shady things happening in some of those institutes, but it was before the eighties, right? It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. during the eighties. It was way before and they still yeah. just defunded. Yeah. Like there were some crazy, like some of those um, religious institutes that, that would pop up were doing horrible things to their patients. And um, it, it was based from, you know, it was, the reason why I say it was religious because it was usually a church that opened it up. Um, so I'm not saying like it was the religion doing it. It was just the religious church that it opened up. Yeah, but they're obviously, in my opinion, should be federally funded clinics mm-hmm. that can handle this type of thing, whether it's mentally ill and the homeless or just, you know, anything in particular. Right. Because unfortunately, a lot of these people who are mentally ill can't get the help they need or don't know where to get the help they need or not in a in a right state of mind to get the help they need that they just end up homeless and on the street right and a 24 hour 24 hour um, that should not doesn't work yeah yeah Yeah, that's that uh, should not happen these people should be have a place where they can be the place where they can go place where they can live place where they're getting the help that they need mm mm-hmm it would it would you would see a lot of the issues diminish, right? Where, uh, you know, and like we've, Seattle is one of, you know, that I can think of. We've been through Seattle. We got married in Seattle. I love Seattle. But there is a, like probably Santa Monica, there's a lot of homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a problem. And where you have these cities that aren't helping either. And I know that they have to get federal funding and they should have that federal funding to go help and say, okay, you know, this person has um, a mental disorder, a mental disability. Let's, get them into an institute, see what's going on, get them on the correct medications and help them, yeah. help them yeah. set them up for success because we're just setting them up for failure right now. Right. Basically just you know, throwing them onto the garbage heap. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let's give them opportunity. There should be opportunity for everybody. All right. We've, we've talked way past <laughs> our time. <laughs> it suddenly turned into a political show. That's okay though. I, you know, I'm, I, like I said, nerd, anything nerdy, I love. So I think politics can be really nerdy as long as it's not getting heated. Yeah. Like I I think it's great. I'm extremely nerdy about my, my progressive views and I make no apology (laughs) for it. You shouldn't either because you know what? Those are your views and you believe in them. So they're also the right views. Right. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the only way to get past some of the divisiveness is to have more, uh, conversations in a friendly environment where right people aren't yelling at one another but they're just having a dialogue 
and yeah, how to get that to that point? Um, I have no clue. <laughs> Who knows? It's no. Oh my gosh! You have a poli- some ways it's uh, probably too far gone. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's where sometimes you have a political conversation and it is just like yeah. you feel like the other person's gonna like throw something at you or shoot you. I don't know. I mean, it's I mean, it's something. It's like calm down. We were just trying to have a conversation. Probably need yeah. a few more comic books. <laughs> yes. Probably what we need. Yes, we do. All right, so we're gonna wrap this show up. That's all at you. Jump in. Uh, yeah, so uh, today's guest was Eddie D'Angelini. Uh, you can check his comic strip as uh, and his collections out at collectorscomic.com. He also has a Facebook page, facebook.com slash collectorscomic, and Instagram, uh, instagram.com slash collectorscomic. And uh, you can learn more about his uh, store in Santa Monica, California, uh, Heidi Ho Comics, which is heidihocomics.com. Do you have any uh, other uh, things you'd like to promote? Uh, one more thing that we didn't get to is I also co-host a podcast called Tales from the Comic Shop um, that you can find on Facebook, Instagram, and I believe Twitter as well. I'm not handling that part, but Tales from the Comic Shop is a podcast where we talk about the comic book industry, comics, and the industry from the retailer side of things. So we talk about what it's like owning a comic shop, what uh, the retail side of things are like, and what the news is from that side, that people who come into the shop may not always know about. And it helps them, I guess, to understand what's actually really going on behind the scenes. That's really intriguing. And since everybody's back in work, you know, going back to the office, perfect time to go listen to that while you're on the drive to your office. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so I've hit think that's it um i appreciate you coming out you know coming on and um talking to us it's i've I've had a lot of fun yeah thanks so much for putting yourself out there and uh giving us a little uh, view into what it is to create your own comics and uh Mm -hmm. run your own store not a problem i thoroughly enjoyed it uh love talking to the both of you i love talking about comics i love talking (laughs) about retailing the comic shop retailing side of things as well and creating as well so i had a blast you guys and yeah you can always check out my stuff at collectorscomic.com and heidihocomics.com and if anybody out there has any questions they want to shoot to me you can always contact me through there as well through my website collectorscomic.com you can always contact me ask me anything go do it ask him anything yeah (laughs) all right well thanks everybody and have a great evening morning whatever time you listened to this at Thank you.